Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Awesome. Well, welcome to this week's episode of The Flow Line. Uh, we have a special guest today. Um, we've got myself, Matt Offenbacher, and our special guest today is Montana Farnham. How you doing today, Montana? You're out in Midland, huh? Yes, sir. Hey, it's great to, great to be on the podcast with you guys. Thanks for inviting me. I feel honored um, to be part of it. Uh, we got uh, Kevin Reed also sitting here with us uh, to help uh, fill in any gaps we have. <laughs> Moral support. No, yeah. that that's great. And uh, so, yeah, we welcome both of you. And then we certainly appreciate you taking the time out of you know, on a Friday when you probably should be out entertaining customers uh, to, to talk about um, the paper that both you and Kevin uh, contributed to. And so, again, on, on behalf of AES, thanks for your guys' time and, and efforts contributing to, to a great paper. I had the chance to go through it. Um, and so, uh, you know, Montana, first and foremost, I'd like for you to just introduce yourself and, uh, you know, how long you've been with the company and your experience within the oil field. And, um, and then we can proceed from there. Sounds good. Um, so my name is Montana Farnham, uh, live out here in the Permian Basin. Um, been with AES about six years now, full field 12 or 13. Um, all in the mud, Permian Basin solely uh, based experience. So yeah, we, uh, we started drilling these helping IPT drill these deep SWDs for, for NGL out here in the Permian Basin and kind of uh, started fine-tuning the, the fluids aspect of it to help help them with better efficiencies anyways. So that's where the need we saw for this paper came from. Excellent. So before writing the paper and, and even more so from, you know, preliminary planning stages before you got real um, – indoctrinated with drilling these SWDs, were there a lot of resources out there for you to be able to access information or how did you sort of navigate that part of it? Or did you lean heavily on, on, you know, just your experience and, and maybe from the operator's perspective? I mean, can you touch a little bit about that? Well, so as far as um, gathering data and everything, it was a, a team effort with the, with the operator and, and going, going to the, um, the subsurface library here in Midland and gathering data there um, to kind of s- historically see what, what, what had happened in the area, mm-hmm. you know, drilling, drilling the, in these deeper formations that haven't seen any activity. Um, everybody was kind of unaware what was going to take place. Right. So that, that kind of got the ball rolling, just um, doing research. Yeah, I'd add, you know, what's, what's fascinating, one of the reasons I was really encouraging these guys to, to do a paper on this is these wells are, I mean, so everybody hears about SWDs in the Permian Basin, right? Like, they're a dime a dozen, but we all know that there's questions about seismicity, there's questions about a lot of these other things, and no, very few people, like, as regulations come in, this is more and more what it's going to have to look like, and you know, Montana and Kevin are some of the only guys who really have in-depth experience dealing with this. 
um, it gets you get, you know, below the wolf camp and it gets considerably more challenging very quickly. That's something we're going to talk about. But, um, you know, between what these guys know and, and the homework they'd done, all, all the learning experience, um, along with uh, I didn't know anything on the geology side, but Alexandra Price from UTPB, one of the, the co-authors, um, shared a lot of information. Um, and then just on the drilling side, um, uh, with IPT, uh, Trevor Smith and Hannah Golicki. I don't know if I pronounced her name correctly, but, um, just a really strong group of people with a lot of experience. Um, so I just wanted to add that. Definitely. And so Montana, one of the questions I have, and, and certainly, especially with unconventionals and how they've taken off and a lot of the young engineers, you know, in, in a lot of different basins have experienced drilling horizontal wells that eventually get fracked. Um, so there, there's certainly a unique element to, to drilling SWDs, but I think if we back up even further, how, what, what, what are SWDs and, and what's the purpose of, of why operators might drill them? So, um, SWD saltwater disposal, uh, wells. So we're, they're drilling into injection zones to get rid of produced water, um, that the, that they're producing wells, um, it's a uh, what um, a byproduct of their producing wells, so they're getting rid of that. Um, drilling those, and and these deep ones come in. Um, started playing a big factor out in New Mexico and parts of Texas because traditionally the SWDs were injected into shallower zones, five to six thousand feet. Well, that started affecting the drilling operations. Gotcha. Um, so they they looked at deeper formations to inject into. So that's that's kind of where these ammonium wells come in. Gotcha. So how would you? So when you say deeper, I mean, what kind of depths are you looking at, and and what what formations are we talking here? So uh, these deeper ones are about seventeen to nineteen thousand feet. Wow. Um, and that's uh, the Devonian formation in Busselman. Um. Interesting. So, uh, before getting into, you know, before, like you said, you gathered a bunch of information. I mean, while writing the paper, uh, what kind of risk that you had, you experienced drilling these that, that you could then relay in, into the paper. I mean, certainly with the complexity of drilling that deep, that, I mean, that's, that's as deep as some offshore wells are. I mean, obviously some are more deeper, but, um, how would you describe some of the, the risks associated with drilling these SWDs? So the kind of roadmap that we outlined in the paper, um, the traditional risks going through all the normal formations up higher, um, you know, with losses up in the, in the shallower parts um, into unstable hole, and then once we get into the 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 deeper parts, you know we're dealing with pressures, um, slow drilling, um, unstable hole, yeah, gas influxes, um, and that's kind of where we saw a, a need for change in the in the the second to last interval. Um, where traditionally we're using water-based mud and heavy weight um, that couldn't really handle all the, the abnormalities of 
of the drilling. So like the gas influxes, um, the long days over the hole, you know, hey, you know, extended periods of time. So we kind of moved to, to changing the fluid design of it. That makes sense. One thing I would add there too is, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll probably go through a little bit of the casing program, but the hole sizes are much, much bigger. So even just because you've got to drill multiple intervals and you've got to drill a bigger hole, hole to get deeper, um, what I found interesting is even though you think you understand some of those formations when you're drilling a 17 and a half or 12 and a quarter versus a nine and seven eights, um, some of the problems can be exacerbated a little bit further when you think about annular velocities for hole cleaning and, and just some other things that uh, you may think, oh, I've drilled through this stuff before, no problem. Um, but even, even the stuff that we know well uh, can be more challenging. Um, that was one interesting thing I observed. Yeah, and that's, and that's a valid point. Um, you know, drilling these bigger holes, we're removing more, more solids, more rock out of there. So it becomes uh, interesting to see how the, the drilling rig that is chosen can handle all that and, and the different aspects there. So, When, when writing the paper, did you, uh, did you really communicate a lot with – because IPT was obviously a co-author in this. Um, it, d describe the experience when, when coming up with these types of, you know, the risks and, and or what's involved. What was the relationship like with, you know, dealing with IPT and, and coming out to making an agreement with, with, with you, what you'd actually highlight within the paper? I mean, can you describe a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, we approached them after, after we drilled numerous, you know, numerous SWDs with them and, and kind of showed them our interest in, uh, writing this paper and and we had a good relationship with the IPT uh, group you know from sitting in their office in Golden Colorado designing these wells um, going through them step by step not just saying that'll work um, really going through detail yep. of how how we're going to make things the process make it happen so all the the tactics we were going to use to make sure that everything was worked out well so yeah. cool. um, numerous conference calls um person to person meetings phone calls um it was uh it was really a team effort so certainly emphasizing the the level of communication and, and pre-planning and i would assume de-risking a lot of these because they're not like you're drilling typical bone springs wolf camp where it's more manufacturer mode i mean there's, there's more, uh, it, it sounds to me and, and while, well, especially reading the paper, uh, there, there's a pretty, uh, critical level of, of engineering that goes behind it. And so I would imagine drilling these and, and developing a good partnership with an operator to make sure that your goals align are certainly is, is, is very important. Yes, sir. Uh, completely. So we, uh, can, you know, the, the design process, we would, they want to make sure we had contingency plans in place when, when certain risks became too much to handle, what was our contingency plan instead of waiting till that moment happened to form one, we already had one in place. Yep. So that helped out a lot. Interesting. Uh, with regards to design, can you kind of walk us through, uh, you know, a traditional say wolf camp horizontal compared to um, a deep SWD. And by that, I mean, just, kind of each interval, like obviously there's different intermediates, 
different casing points, um, maybe different, you know, frac gradients. I mean, just on a, you know, very brief level, uh, how, how does the design differ from a, from a, what people know as a regular Permian or Delaware basin well? So I, I guess the biggest difference would be the, the overall hole size going through these air, through these traditional formations, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the biggest factor, um, drilling in the intermediate section is the, the cherry and brushy Canyon, which everybody's familiar with, but we're drilling a bigger hole size through that and dealing with losses and dealing with, the. Uh, influxes from traditional SWDs that are injecting into those areas. So, um, and then once we move down into the deeper section, um, just dealing with the unknowns from how the formation's going to, to react in, in the areas we're doing. So, yeah, no, I mean, that totally makes sense. Um, is it, I mean, is it slow drilling? I mean, or like, what does that look like once you get deeper? I mean, is it, kind of just a slow grind or what kind of, you know, what kind of drilling performance do, do most people experience? Yeah. So in that, in that third intermediate or in that, uh, in the, you know, the zone of the, the straw and the Moro, the, the Mississippian, that area, um, it's slow drilling. Um, cause it's a, you know, we're drilling an eight and a half inch hole to eight and three quarter inch hole at, at 14,000, 15,000 feet. Mm. So, um, you know, average, average days in that interval could, could range 20 days for, for just drilling three, you know, 3000 feet. I gotcha. Um, in the paper, I noticed, you know, there's a little bit of a, dis, you know, discussion on completion techniques and, you know, you're not running a five and a half inch, you know, production liner or, you know, production casing all the way to surface like you would normally in a unconventional horizontal. Um, was that a pretty good learning experience? opportunity for you i mean can you highlight some of the learnings that you took away from writing the paper with regards to that or or just your experience drilling these like with the technique of, of you know drilling those intervals you know and then maybe how you leave the well as opposed to a regular horizontal well yeah so um as far as what we took away from all this it was it was a great learning experience going through it with ibt you know they did their research to see how they wanted to complete these wells and we did ours and kind of came to a, a, a compromise or agreement anyways. And, um, traditionally they would run a slotted liner in the injection zone and, and leave it. Uh, they moved more towards a, uh, open hole completion. I got you. Montana, can you tell, uh, talk a little bit more, you know, one of, one of the big things that uh, I think I learned from IPT and, and just in general is how the intense focus on compliance um, and de-risking for a deep injection well like this, um, you know, just the, the added bond logging, the, um, the pressure testing, all of that, along with having a commercially viable well with large enough injection tubing could you comment a little bit on, on all of that and how that drives some of the stuff? I, I guess the reason I'm getting asking that question is sometimes you'd look at this, you say, well, why don't you just do this and this and this? And the reason is because the compliance requirements are so strict that you may do something that might appear a little more expensive for the risk of having to, you know, um, fix it later. 
Right. Yeah. So the, I mean, the, the regulations drive a lot of, a lot of this design and how these are done because the, the state, you know, requires certain things and they want data uh, as well. So IBT um, in, did a, did a great job of making sure all those requirements were met um, to provide a good will, right? Yep. So Montana, what was the biggest takeaway and not necessarily from a technical standpoint, but, but through writing the paper, getting involved, putting your thoughts down, putting, you know, obviously doing research, uh, was it, was it an overall positive experience? And, and what was the takeaway for you writing a, a, a technical paper and, you know, you know, disregarding like the SWD side of it, but, but is it something that interests, interests you and would you encourage other folks to, cause I mean, we have a lot of people, especially in the mud industry who have a lot of good experience. And, and I think one of the challenges we have is, is leveraging each other's experiences. And we oftentimes have great discussions with our peers on certain things um, that oftentimes don't get, uh, you know, organized in a way that other people can learn from it. But is that something that you find important being able to put, to do, to do this exercise? Yeah. So um, as far as the, the technical paper goes, right, it was a, it was a step out of the box for me. Uh, I wanted to do it just as a, a learning opportunity. Yeah. Um, and it was a great learning opportunity, putting every organizing, putting everything together, um, you know, mainly organizing people's time and, and uh, their skills as well. Um, and kind of leaning on, leaning on people that knew a little bit more about the, the process than I did. So yeah, good uh, for you, man. A, yeah, it was a, it was a cool experience. I, you know, I would do it again. Um, I would, you know, approach it a little different probably, uh, if I did. And that's interesting that, so how would you, how would you do it different then? I think that's a great point. Well, I'd probably, uh, be a little more, um, time oriented, I guess, uh, as okay. far as setting guidelines and, and goals and, and, uh, and, just being a little more organized with your time, maybe time management. Yeah, there you go. Time management to, to make sure things are, are done and we're not uh, grasping, uh, uh, for better words, grasping for straws at the very end, trying to make <laughs> sure it's done. To be yeah. fair, that's true of almost every paper. I find that no matter what, you're in crisis until the deadline and asking for extensions. Yeah. And it's just, I mean you've got a lot of different people and then you overlook like just getting the paper written where you look at all the references in the back, you you're reading all these other things. You're trying to organize your thoughts, get everybody aligned. And then there's the copyright and making sure, you know, some, if you co-author with another company, they may have a legal team that wants to review it or a, uh, somebody higher up who needs to approve it. Um, and so there's just a lot of stuff that has to come together where, um, I've been told that everyone can tell when papers are due for a conference based upon the, my outward appearance that week. Oh yeah. Um, it's a, it's a pretty stressful thing, but um, at the same, I, I guess almost it's part of the process. I've, I get better at it, but um, I always say the same things, Montana, man, I'd, I'd manage my time better next time and all that. I think, I think part of it is we thrive on a deadline. Um, but uh, I don't know. For me personally, I thought it was really cool that you you stepped up and and wanted to be a part of it. Um, 
And uh, I mean, I, I think the end products turned out pretty good as a co-author. I can say that, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Well, Montana, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly a pleasure to have you on the podcast, uh, your contribution to not only um, AEDE, AES, but, but to our industry as a whole. And, um, you know, the, the cool thing about these is, I mean, you can go on the AADE website and you can look back years and years and years for papers that, um, you know, that, that apply now. And so I think a lot of people will benefit from this. And so your, your hard work is, is gonna, is gonna pay off and, and, uh, you did, you've done a great thing. And, and Matt, I certainly applaud you. I mean, you're, you help uh, steer the ship with this regard, Matt. Um, do you mind sharing, um, you know, how people can access the paper and maybe a little bit about AEDE and, and what our position is there, obviously with coronavirus and the quarantine. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that before we get off? Absolutely. So, I, I mean, you may have heard, we, we've tried to bring on every person who was going to get the chance to present a paper at the conference. Unfortunately, it had to be canceled due to everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so the decision was made to put the papers up on the AAD website uh, so that they could get published. Um, and uh, you can get them for free there. So you go to AAD.org. Um, AAD, or American Association of Drilling Engineers, is you know an industry group. I really love how inclusive they are. I love how they support students really well. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was on the committee for this conference, um, but uh, I just... Um, there's a lot of organizations out there, but there's something special about the AADE. Um, and so I encourage people to participate, consider being members. And, um, I was just really excited that these guys all got the opportunity to, uh, put together most of them, their first paper, uh, so that maybe it's not scary next time and they can contribute all the great stuff they know to the industry. Most but, definitely. And, and one question I had, Matt, is if someone out there is interested in, uh, putting together a paper. How does one go about doing that? So the the main the easiest way is there's there's calls for abstracts for different conferences. So if you're a member, you'll you'll be on the mailing list. Um, and every other year is the fluids conference, and then the years in between is the drilling conference. And uh, if you're a fluids person, you can do both. I mean, fluids are an aspect of drilling, right? For sure. Um, so. Uh, but um, you'll see the call for abstracts. It usually happens well in advance. Uh, so, you know, this conference was scheduled for April. I think the call for abstracts went out in September, October. And then you found out your paper was, your abstract was accepted, which your abstract is just a paragraph explaining what you're going to talk about. That gets accepted, uh, hopefully. And then you, you'll probably find out in about November. Then this is just my example timetable. And the papers are due in February or something along those lines. So you have a few months, but you think, ah, I've got a few months. Uh, and so don't make any big plans. Um, <laughs> okay. But uh, anyways, there's, t there's typically a pretty drawn out process as far as, you know, making sure you have a good quality abstract, submitting that, it gets accepted, and then you can start the process on the paper. And there are people who are happy to help you, uh, including myself. But um, that's the main thing. Keep an eye on your email list. There's different conferences, not just AADE, that will ask for you to contribute. And, and that's kind of where it all begins. Awesome. Well, thanks for all the help that you've done uh, with the organization, Matt. And for all the listeners out there, we always appreciate the support. Please, if you haven't yet, leave a review, uh, preferably a written one. But if you want to hit the five-star button, that's also welcome. 
Uh, if you have any questions, you can hit either Matt and I up on LinkedIn, or you can email us at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. Uh, we've recently published a lot of tech tips, um, just a lot of great content that provides a lot of technical information uh, with regards to drilling fluids. So I encourage all the listeners out there to check it out. Uh, and with that being said, everybody, have a wonderful day. Gentlemen, if you have uh, anything else to say, Montana, do you got any closing last words of wisdom? I mean, I know you got oh, some I, up I your don't sleeve. Know about, I don't know about wisdom, but I would like to, you know, give thanks to everybody that was involved in this paper from Kevin to Matt to Hannah, Trevor, and and uh, Allie over there. And everybody in the background today, yes, it was definitely a team effort. So a great experience. Awesome. Well, you did a great job on 10 and everyone out there. Thanks again for listening. Take care for now. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the flow line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.